good morning, Scotts Hill. I'm grateful to be with you this morning. I'm grateful to be continuing in our series, Everything. And I hope that it's been as encouraging for y'all as it's been for me to be uh, getting into this first chapter of Second Peter and, and talking through the idea that we've been given everything we need in this life in Jesus Christ. This idea that we have everything we need for this life and godliness in this life in Jesus Christ. And as we've been pouring through the first couple of verses here, I've really enjoyed, especially in my small group, shout out to my small group squad who's in here today, um, talking through this idea of adding to our faith virtue, moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, and endurance. And it's been a blast kind of being challenged, being convicted, and being encouraged by talking about that in community. And I hope it's been that way for you. And if you're not in a small group, please write that down in your connection card and drop that off. See somebody at the connections desk. Email Pastor Jeff, jeff.poteet at scottshill.org. Um, don't email josh.hanson because, you know, that's Jeff's job. But pursue a small group. We really want you to, to find community because when you pour over this stuff, it's not meant to be just done um, in this corporate setting, but also in small groups as well. And I've had a blast going through it, but uh, now I'm up to preach on the next trait on the list, which is godliness. Um, and if I'm honest, if I'm being real, this, this idea of preaching on godliness, it's not the easiest thing for me to do. And you're probably sitting there saying, yeah, speak for yourself. It's not the easiest thing for me to sit through either. You know, but just because something's not easy doesn't mean it's not worth it. Amen? And so today I'm excited to jump right in. And if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to 2 Peter. We're in the first chapter. We're going to read the first, or not the first, but we're going to read verses 3 through 7 together. And if it feels repetitive, that's on purpose. You saw it in the video. You, you've heard it preached uh, by Pastor Phil. And we're, we're really hammering this passage because we want to really dive deep into it. And I think repetition is important for us as believers. Amen? We forget all the time. So it's good for us to be reminded again and again of the truth of God's word. And we believe this is a living and active, breathing word of God that, that affects us new each time we engage with it. Amen? So let's go ahead and read together starting in verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. As we look to teach and learn from this word this morning, would you pray with me that God would move? Because if he doesn't move, there's no power. Would you pray with me that this would not be an example of, of any gifting that I have, but the truth of God's word and the power that comes from it. Will you pray? Let's pray together. God, we thank you for new mercies every morning. God, we thank you that you love us and you put that love on display in Jesus Christ who saved us while we were still sinners. 
God, we thank you that we can come and worship you, worship your name, lift your name high because of what Jesus did for us. God, and we ask this morning that you would meet us here with your Holy Spirit. You would teach us from your word. You would use me to help people be convicted and comforted, challenged and encouraged by the truth of your word this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Well, finally, we've gotten some cooler weather. Can we get a clap for that? Anybody else excited? Yes. Finally, the heat wave is over. Maybe we got a little bit of fall weather. This heat in Wilmington in, in the fall I mean, is still something I'm getting used to. It, it's awkward for me to, to wake up in September and go into my closet and put on shorts. It's just weird. I, I, I'm not supposed to do that. I'm not used to doing that. I spent 33 years of my life not doing that. And, and it's hard, and I know it's really difficult for my wife to not wear any of her 10,000 sweatshirts that she has. I mean, it's sweater season, and she's not able to, to wear her sweatshirts and her sweaters, and it's killing her. And, and you know, we, we've been experiencing this heat now in the fall for a couple of years, and we're still getting used to it. But I have to admit, I'm trying to make the most of it. We're going to the beach. We went to the beach when it was like 90 degrees the other, the other day, and, you know, I've been, I've been going surfing. And I really have fallen in love with surfing. I, I think it's a blast. Um, I, I really, really enjoy falling again and again and again. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm not very good, not, a, not at all, uh, but I love it. I love getting out there and trying, and I bought one of them Wavestorm surfboards from Costco, the cheap ones, that longboards that are, uh, you know, made of foam and really great for beginners and make me believe that I can actually surf when I really can't, um, but it's been fun getting out there and, and, and learning to surf, and the fall is actually the best time to surf. Um, Crazy surfer dudes are the only ones who actually look forward to hurricane season because then they can finally shred some nardids. They can actually get after it because the waves are real. They're, they're real waves, not these little baby bumps that we've been trying to surf on all summer long, but they're big waves. And I've got a couple of surfer buddies, um, both from Scotts Hill. So if not for Scotts Hill, I wouldn't have any surfer friends. So thank you guys. Appreciate, appreciate. Uh, Tucker Kelly uh, introduced me to the sport, and then I've surfed a little bit with Knox Gibson and Josh Ferrante, and especially Tucker and, and Josh, they like to surf the bigger waves. They, they're actually pretty good at it. Josh is from California. Tucker's been surfing since he could walk, I think, and they, they like to surf the big waves, so when they see that, oh, man, Josh, the, the waves are going to be five, six, seven feet today. Let's go out and let's hit them. I'm like, yeah, let's go because this Minnesota boy likes a challenge. And so I'm like, all right, let's go. So I pack up my surfboard. I meet him at, at, the, shore, or meet him at the beach, and we get there, and we, we all walk up to the shore, and everybody's like, oh, yeah, look at that one, look at that one. And i got to be honest, I stand there on the shore, and I look at him. I'm like, oh, nice, that wave is Big. This is going to be so much fun on the shore. That's what I say. And then I put my leash on and I start paddling out and I'm paddling, I'm paddling, and I get closer to the waves. And then it's right up on top of me and I go, oh no, these waves are big. This is not going to be fun. And my attitude changes so fast when looking at the same wave from different perspectives. And if you know anything about surfing, you understand that trying to paddle out in rough Waves, big waves, choppy waves with a longboard is very difficult. Um, you can't duck dive, which is, you know, what ducks do when they jump in the water. They kind of put their butt up, put their head down and go in. And you do that with a surfboard. You can't do that with a long foam board. You just can't. So you just got to, oh, okay, oh, okay, and again and again get crashed by waves. And 
one of the times I was paddling out for probably 45 minutes, 45 minutes of me just getting smashed in the face by a wave, knocked off my board by another wave, only to realize I hadn't gained any ground, and just paddling and paddling, and I went from excitement to intimidation really, really fast. Uh, Instead of being excited about the waves, I was intimidated by them. I was like, I don't know if I can ever do this. And then finally, by the grace of God, there was a calm, and there was this moment when I could doggy paddle my way past the breakers, and I made it. I made it. I got out there, took a breather for 20 minutes, and caught my breath because I'm out of shape and started to look back to see, okay, now let's figure out which wave I'm going to ride. You know, I pretended like I knew what I was doing, like, yeah, I'm looking for a wave. I have no idea what I'm doing. All the other surfer guys, I'm just trying to not fall off my board, and uh, they're all getting ready to ride waves. And and then I pick out the wave that I'm going to ride, and I start paddling for it, and I feel it pick me up. I'm like, okay, here we go. And then it keeps picking me up, and I'm like, oh, God, no. And then I get to the top of the wave, and I'm on top of it, and it takes the board and flips me over, spikes me on my head, spins me upside down. I'm in the complete spin cycle at this point. I mean, I'm pretty sure it was permanent press, and uh, I got washed really, really clean that day. And, uh, I mean, I am just absolutely getting pummeled by this wave that is way beyond my pay grade. Finally, I figure out which direction is up, and I paddle back up to the surface, pop up for some air, grab my board, crawl on top of it just in time to get smashed in the face by another wave. And I mean, this experience was horrible. It was exactly like this, I tell you. Rare footage from Wrightsville Beach. (laughs) If only, I have no business being on the Wrightsville Beach waves, nonetheless, a wave like that. But that's what it felt like. That's what it felt like for me. I was like, this is too big. That is not a wave for me. And I look back at, at how far I've still got to paddle. I'm looking at mm, 30 minutes more paddling just to get out, just to get pummeled by another wave. And I say, all right, I'm turning back to shore. And I just paddle in, discouraged, disheartened, and disappointed. I get to the beach, exhausted, throw my board down, lay on top of it, starfish, because my arms are jelly. And I think this is impossible. This is impossible. I'll never be able to ride these waves. Meanwhile, I sit up, and there's Tucker getting barreled, riding it perfectly. Meanwhile, I look up, and there's Josh Ferrante trying to cut back and doing all kinds of cool stuff. And I think, this just isn't for me. Clearly, some people can do it. For me, this is impossible. I just, I can't do this. And I tell you that story this morning both because it's really fun to embarrass yourself in front of large crowds and because I believe that my experience with trying to surf big waves is pretty darn similar to our experience as we pursue godliness. See, we might get excited on the onset at the idea of pursuing a godly lifestyle, but what we first saw is is, awesome we soon felt was intimidating and maybe after some failures getting knocked down being disappointed by your inability to achieve what you're trying to pursue you end up even feeling like it's impossible you know what godliness yeah that's it's cool for pastors and all that that ain't me and what I want you to hear today is that we struggle with this I think because of motive I think that that we struggle with this because godliness feels intimidating or impossible when your motives are improper. You hear that? Do you understand what I'm saying? It feels impossible. It feels intimidating 
when the reason for it isn't right. We're going to struggle with godliness big time if we've got the wrong motive behind it. Motive is so important. Too often we try to be godly for the wrong reason, like maybe because your parents are Christians and you're trying to live up to them. Or maybe because you're trying to prove that you're a good person. Or maybe because you live in the South and you go to church and you have faith because that's what everybody does. Or maybe it's because you're trying to separate yourself from that dirty, rotten sinner sitting next to you. Don't look. Because you want to look better or feel better than the other Christians. Because you feel guilty about something you've done in your life. And you feel like you've got to repay it. See, any of these motives for godliness are going to leave you feeling intimidated and maybe even that it's impossible. You're going to feel like me, like I'm just paddling to nowhere. And I'm going to end up back on shore anyway, so why even try? But I want to tell you guys today, I want to remind you the truth that God's word is, is, is telling us today that in Jesus Christ, godliness is made possible for everybody. For every single one of us, I want to encourage you with this truth that godliness, see, we, we get the wrong definition. Godliness isn't about acting or living right. Godliness is about actively loving your God. When you have the wrong definition of godliness, when you have the wrong idea about what that looks like in your life, you're going to struggle. But godliness is about actively loving your God. Godliness, if we're going to pursue it for real, if we're going to achieve it, must begin with God. It's kind of a no-brainer, to be honest. I mean, look at the word. What's the word start with? God. Cool. Start with God with, when it comes to godliness. It's a simple concept, but we, we struggle with it. It's actually pretty hard for us to be able to achieve in our lives. It's pretty tough because we get this idea that some people are just better than others. Tucker is better than me at surfing. But when it comes to godliness, there's an even playing field. And in order to get us there, here's what I want us to do. I, I, I'm going to have us recite something that I believe is 100% true and we all need to be reminded of this morning. So would you guys be able to repeat after me? Yes. Not everybody did, so I'm not sure. I don't, I don't believe you. Will you guys be able to repeat after me? Yes. There we go. All right. Now, now we're here. This is the 11 o'clock, right? Just checking. All right. Cool. So I'm going to say this, and I want you to repeat after me. I am a sinner who needs forgiveness and grace from God every day. And I can do nothing godly apart from God. Doesn't that give you a little bit of relief when everybody gets to say that? When you actually vocalize the truth of your standing before God that apart from him, we're all helpless, myself included. Apart from God, we're not able to do godly things because the truth is we're all sinners who need forgiveness and none of us can do anything godly apart from God. It's just a simple truth of our standing, but we forget about it. And when we consider godliness, we, we forget about our, our, our level playing field that we're all on, and we start to think about other people's ability to achieve godliness. 
but we're not able to do it apart from God. And that's what Jesus teaches us in John. Check out John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. Jesus says we can't bear fruit. He tells us that God is both the definition and the source of godliness. Both the definition and the source. Godliness starts with God. We're all on the same playing field, helpless to achieve it without going to God. That should give you some encouragement. That we can then go to God and and get it. And it helps us because then we get rid of this lie that it's reserved for pastors, Mother Teresa, and your grandma. Let me tell you right now, godliness is for everybody. Godliness is for everybody that has Jesus Christ. It's made possible through him. And it's so, so, so important for us as Christians, you know that? Because we fall victim way too much. We fall into this comparison trap, don't we? We start to compare our lives, our faith walks specifically to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We start fighting like we're brothers and sisters for real, right? We compare, oh, my life is, is here, but so-and-so's is here. My life is here, but so-and-so's is here. It's this idea that you can say, yeah, I'm not growing in my faith, but did you hear about Ben and Becky? Apparently, they're getting a divorce. So it's the idea that you say, well, I'm not really serving and I'm not giving, I barely even tithe, but did you hear about Lance and Lexi and their daughter Lauren? Apparently she's dating a non-Christian. This attitude makes, us, makes me believe that apparently we're more, we're more interested in gossip than godliness. Apparently we've gotten so trapped in the comparison that we've forgotten that godliness has nothing to do with anyone else. And has everything to do with your personal relationship with God. There's only one comparison and it's God. It's his holiness, his righteousness. We've got to stop the comparison. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, I will not compare my faith to yours. Turn to your other neighbor and say, I will not compare your faith to mine. We've got to stop comparing. Because you don't achieve godliness by doing the right things. You begin to achieve godliness by worshiping the right God, by submitting to the right Savior. It's not about looking at others, you guys. It's about your own heart. It's actually very, very personal. Somebody say it's personal. Godliness is so, so personal. It's this heart attitude that you have from God and the actions that, that flesh themselves out from it. That's what godliness is. See, we don't have a relationship with God based on our ability to check the boxes of godliness. No, we have a relationship with God because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, maybe somebody dragged you here, maybe you got invited by a neighbor, maybe you come because your mom and dad forced you to, let me just start by saying this. I'm glad you're here. Yeah, you. Wherever you are, whatever your attitude is, I'm glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here because I, I pray and I hope that, that Scotts Hill is a place that worships Jesus and welcomes everyone. 
We want to be a community that is unashamed about the truth of God and the message of Jesus and worships him with, worships him with passion, but also understands that there are people in this world that, that aren't there yet. And I'm glad you're here, and I hope you, you hear the truth of who Jesus is for you personally. And I want to tell you something. You may have not woken up realizing it, but grace is here for you today. Forgiveness is here for you today. Love, unconditional love from God is here for you today. I don't know your story, but I know that the Holy Spirit is in this place. And I know that if you're feeling something tug you towards a response to what God has done for you, which is that he sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life and then pay the penalty for your imperfect life, your sin, that he died and rose again, paying for your sin and, and claiming victory over it so that you, yes, you personally could be reunited with God. I pray when you hear that, when you've got that tug, that you're supposed to respond, that you would follow it. Don't leave this place without writing it down on a connections card that you want to talk more about it with, with somebody and, and dropping it off. Don't leave this place without talking to me or, or finding another pastor. Don't leave this place without talking to somebody about that because we want to walk with you closer to Jesus. We want everyone to come to know the saving relationship that comes from Jesus Christ because it transforms you. It transforms you, and, and it's still transforming me to this day, and it's what transforms us to be able to achieve godliness. It's what we need, because godliness isn't pointing to your good deeds. No, no, no. It's responding to the good deed of Jesus. It's our response to the good deed of Jesus. It's not our list of good deeds we can achieve ourselves. For any and everybody, that's the truth. That's the reality. It's because of God's ability to forgive us, his love for us that's unconditional, that we respond to live like him, to honor him, not so we can pat ourselves on the back and say, look at me, look at how good I am, but instead we can point back to God and say, look at how amazing he is. I was a train wreck before I met Jesus. Literally, I was in jail before I met Jesus. changes everything. And when we, we walk in godliness, we're pointing back to him. We're not saying, look at how good I am now. But grace has got to be the catalyst. Grace has got to be the reason that we do it. It's the love of Jesus that starts the engine of godliness. It's, it's the forgiveness we receive that, that gets us going. Look at Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age. Gr God's grace is what trains us for lives of godliness. That's what we see. God's grace is what trains us. See, the wrong motives will have us striving after good deed, good deed, good work, good work, good deed, good deed, good deed, good work. But the grace of Jesus will have us responding out of love and worship and awe and adoration, which will lead to true godliness. 
See, I love the way that Jerry Bridges in his book, Practice, uh, Practice for Godliness, puts it. That we've got these three personal heart attitudes towards God that we have to cultivate in order to ever walk in godliness. Without these three, we're not going to have any hope. And he, he starts and he says, we've got to have the fear of God, the love of God, and the desire for God. These are so, so pivotal for us if we want to pursue godliness. And the fear that we're talking about here, listen, this isn't horror movie fear that we're afraid that God's going to hurt you. Like God's the boogeyman waiting to jump out the corner and say, ha, caught you when you sinned. No. This fear of God that we're talking about here is this incredible awe of who God is. It's getting a glimpse of his majesty, his glory, his holiness and saying, wow, I have nothing but reverence and awe for you because you are so holy, so good, so great, and I am so not. It's this realization of how far above you God is. And you fear him because you respect him, because you honor him, because you realize that you're way down here and he's way up here. It's a true understanding of who God is. And then that fear turns into love for God because you realize that you're way down here and he's way up here and he's reaching down for you. Even though he's holy and matchless and has all majesty and all sovereignty and all power and all wisdom and you're just a measly little person, one of billions on the planet, he reaches down to you, yes, you personally, and says, come here, son. Come here, daughter. He meets you with Jesus. He sacrificed his son. He was unwilling to spare. He, he, he was unwilling to, to, to leave anything spared. He, he gave it all so that you could be given life with him. And so that fear turns into love because you see what God has done for you in Jesus. And we love because he first loved us. Look at what first. John 4, 9 says, that's why we love. And when you see that love, come in contact with that love, you can't help but love God back. When God loves you at your worst, how can you not love him back? When God's willing to overlook your worst offense, how can you not love him back? When God encourages you with truth after truth after truth, how can you not love him back? When his promises never, never fail, how can you not love him back? When he promises never to leave you, he's always by your side. How can you not love him back? And so this fear of God transforms into love of God. And when you truly love something, you desire it, right? I mean, if you love cake, you're going to want more cake. <laughs> yeah. If you love something, if you truly love something, you're going to desire more of it. I mean, it's a pretty bad example of love if there's never any pursuit of the thing that you say you love. I love my wife, but I never talk to her. You know, I, I, I love the Minnesota Vikings, but I literally never watch their games. I have no idea how good they are. No, I really do, and they're bad. It's horrible. <laughs> but if you really love something, you're going to desire it. And I pray our hearts get captured by fear of God and love of God to the point where we can say similarly to what 
David says in Psalm 63 when he says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Has anybody here ever been so parched, so famished, so dehydrated that when you tasted water, it was like the best tasting thing on the planet? Anybody? Yeah? Yeah. I'm like that way with Mountain Dew every time. But you understand this feeling that oh my goodness, my whole body was aching for that. It was what I needed so much and there was nothing that could satisfy me but that. That's the desire we need to have for God. That nothing else will satisfy. And when we have that, we end up being able to walk in godliness. But it it needs to come from the understanding that God is better. Look at what verse 3 says. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. You desire God most because he is better. Because he is better than money. Because he's better than success. Because he's better than fame. Because he's better than sex. Because he's better than that relationship. He's better than that job. He's better than that friend. He's better than your family. He is better. You desire most because nothing else compares. That's my prayer for this community that we would see that we would honor and revere God because he's better. Because there's nothing else worth pursuing with honor or or, or that kind of reverence. There's nothing. But we struggle. We we, we nod our heads and amen and even me, myself, my, my... the Spirit is convicting me because I love passionately saying that, but I struggle to physically live it. I, I struggle to, to make my life look like there's nothing better than God. And I think we all have that tension where our reverence for God has a breaking point. Our reverence for God, it, at some point it runs out. And I want to ask you this morning, at what point does your reverence for God run out? At what point does God get replaced by a different priority? When does his truth get drowned out by a lie? I don't know what your personal struggle is, but I want to challenge you in it. Does it run out when money is involved? Do you worship God and revere him above all else, but when money gets tight, you do whatever it takes, and and all of your honor goes, goes towards making sure your money's right? Does your reverence run out when your job is involved? Does your reverence run out when family is involved? You'll worship God, but you'll actually do whatever it takes to make sure your family is how you want it to be. And your reverence for God runs out in that moment because you choose something from this earth over God. I mean, we all have that point, right? We, we come to God and they say, I'll worship you, God, but hey, don't touch my Saturdays. That's for me and my boat. I'll worship you, God, but stay away from my job. That's my happy place. I'll worship you, God, but don't touch my house. Don't touch my sex life. Don't touch my friends. Don't touch my Friday night. That's me. That's mine. Let me tell you something. When you make things off limits to God in your life, you're going to limit your ability to walk in godliness. 
give him it all. It's, it's already his. And he already paid it all for you. Now, don't mishear me. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying you can't go out on the boat on Saturdays. Please, take me. I would love to come. But just don't ever let yourself... When there's a wrestling match between God and any other worldly priority, God needs to win. If it's your job or Jesus, it's Jesus. If it's your friends or Jesus, it's Jesus. If it's your family or Jesus, it's Jesus. It's got to be Jesus. Because it's putting him as the number one priority in our life. That's what allows us to walk in godliness. And we're, every single one of us is capable of doing that because of our personal relationship with him. And I want you to see that, that it's so important that we do it here because godliness is the only thing that's going to last into eternity. Everything else is going to fade away. First Timothy 6, look what it says. But godliness with contentment, being content with just God and walking with him, is great gain for we brought nothing into this world and we cannot take anything out of it. That boat ain't going. Your house ain't going. That job ain't going. But your walk with God is because God is eternal. And he continues saying that it's, it's got benefit for our lives now and in eternity. 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. It holds promise for the present life and for the life to come. Pursuing a godly life here on earth prepares you for your worship of God in eternity. When you get saved, it's not just so that you can get saved and then live as happy of a life as you can. And then once you get to heaven, then you start worshiping Jesus and only Jesus. No, it starts right now. Walk right now like you're living in the kingdom of God because newsflash, you are. You are. So worship Jesus and only Jesus. What does that look like? Well... I can give you two things that I think might help. One, pursue a more personal relationship with Jesus. It's personal. It's so, so, so personal. You want to think about godliness? Think about your personal relationship with Jesus. Pursue a more personal one with him. Go back to the moment when you got saved. Go back to the moment when, when Jesus met you in your mess. And remember what it felt like to be forgiven of all your faults. To be loved completely unconditionally. And to be met with mercy when you deserve death. To be given life, to be given promise and a purpose by a God who is holy. And go back to that and work on your time with God. Quit looking at other people's lives, quit comparing yourself and just work on you and Jesus. Let's work on you and him. He's near to you. Draw near to him. Psalm 145 says, the Lord is near to all who call on him. Don't let your life become too much of a practical checklist when God wants it to be personal. Let your faith be practical, live it out, but don't let it just be practical. It's got to be personal. There has to be a personal relationship at the heart of it. And if you don't have that personal relationship, come on. Jesus is calling you this morning. He's calling you this morning. Don't leave here without at least taking a step towards him. He's, he's reaching out his hand.
and you can make God your number one priority. And I pray it's such a conviction, but even a challenge for me to think about what Paul says in Philippians 3.8. It says, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He says, I count everything as lost. Nothing compares to Jesus. Wow. Paul's able to walk in godliness because this is his heart. David's able to walk in godliness because his heart was that he, he desired for God. If you want to walk in godliness... with God and then put that love that you find because I believe you'll find it put it on display in your life it's pretty hard to say that you love someone if you never act like it so put it on display take that personal relationship you have with God and act on it that'll produce godly actions live out Romans 12:1. I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present yourself as a live, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Listen, I hope you're encouraged this morning that godliness is for everybody because it's a personal relationship with you that's the catalyst. It's your fear of God, your love of God, and your desire for God that, that gives birth to this life, that you can walk with God, and he's all deserving, amen? So as we leave, I want you to remember this truth that Godliness isn't about acting or living right. No, no, no. Godliness is about actively loving your God. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this morning. I praise you because you're worthy. God, your holiness is just incredible. Your mercy is unbelievable. God, and I pray that every single person in this room would be able to foster a greater fear, love, and desire for you because of the transformation that happens when we engage with your word. Thank you for its truth. Thank you for its power. And I pray that, God, we would go and live this out. We would go and embrace you personally more and that we would walk with you closer and produce godliness in our lives by the power that comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.